Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Well, how are we, Hope? Good to see you. Welcome to those of you joining us online or at one of our physical campuses at Raleigh and Garner and Morrisville and Apex. I missed you guys. Normally, we just have one week off, but because of the way the holidays fell, we had two weekends off of church. Let's never do that again. And it was bad for me, too, because I just ate and sat. That's all I did for like two weeks straight. I didn't know what day it was. But speaking of the holidays, how many of you got a chance to watch a Hallmark Christmas movie? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. How many of you watched more than one? Two. Okay. Three, five, ten. We got a super fan right here. We have any Hallmark Christmas movie haters just by a round of applause? Okay. There's a few. Okay. Seem to be outdated. I've only seen like one and a half before, but I've been told they're all the same. I don't, the, the two that I saw were very, very similar, but my friend tells me it's all about a, a career woman in a big city that, that's too busy for love, and she has to move back to her small, you guys are laughing. This is this, yeah, okay. She has to move back to her small hometown where she meets the world's most eligible bachelor in flannel, and uh, he teaches her the true meaning of the holiday. It snows, they kiss, and there's a dog in that's about it, right? Am I right? That's what I've been told. I think that they're completely different. In fact, I have a picture of the top eight Hallmark Christmas movies from the past few years. We can put that up. Look how different they are. I mean, there's a brunette in one of them. There's a blonde-haired guy in one of them. No, they are all the same. Okay, I'll grant you that. Yes, all Hallmark movies are the exact same. The characters change a little bit. The settings change a little bit. There's some minor details, but the main characters always follow a predictable path. You see that Hallmark movie Christmas kind of logo show up on the screen, and you know where the story's ending before it, begin, before it even begins. It's predictable. And that's the thought that I want to think about as we kick off our brand new series called Saying No to God. It's that thought of, of a predictable path. Now, a saying no to God, that's kind of a shocking title. A lot of people are like, who in the world would say no to the God of the universe? And the answer is, well, all of us. Now, all of us at some point have said no to God, and many of us, I'd be willing to bet, are saying no to, no to God right here and right now. And it might be that you've completely written off God and the church and the Bible. Maybe you're here joining us online or at one of our campuses, and you don't really want to be here, but you have a friend or relative that's just been kind of nagging you over and over again, and you don't want to make them mad. If that's you, I want to say you're not alone. You're kind of like our honored guest. Uh, you're the reason why we do a lot of what we do. But maybe it's not that you don't believe in God. You think that maybe he probably exists, but you've just said no to, like, organized religion, and you're just kind of checking out church for the first time in a long time. And I get that. Or maybe you're like most of us here where you believe in God and you believe in the church, but there's just one or two areas where you've said yes to God here and here and here and here, but, but no right here. Just one little area where you're saying no to God. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that all of us, whether in the past or in the present, have said no to God at one point. And the crazy thing is, is we don't really think it affects our lives all that much. 
The fact that we say no to God or have said no to God seems a little inconsequential sometimes, if we're honest, because God doesn't have a megaphone. He's not yelling out, hey, stop saying no, stop saying no. We just kind of say it and go on about our lives. Like we say no to telemarketers. We, we don't even think about it. We don't think that it has that many consequences. But what I want you to see in the next four weeks is that that no that you have said to God, whether consciously or subconsciously, whether way back in the past or whether right now in the present, that one no is definitely affecting your life. In fact, uh, what we see is that when we say no to God, we always follow a predictable path. Now, there's always that, that predictable path that we start walking down, and the scenario always plays out the same way. I think that as 20th century human beings living in America, we like to think our life is unique, that the path that we're walking down, no one else has walked down before, but what we're going to see in the next few weeks is really how ununique we really are and how much we actually have in common. Now, there are those who say yes to God. There are those who say no to God. And just like those Hallmark Christmas movies, you tell me which one, and I can predict the future that they're headed towards. So over the next few weeks, I want to walk all the way down the path of saying no to God, all the way to the bitter end. And then we're going to take some time to turn back and look at the path of saying yes to God. And we're going to take that journey alongside of a guy that some of you know and all of you have heard about. It's a guy named Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Jonah. Uh, first off, good luck. It's really, really hard to find. So use your table of contents and keep your marker there for next week. Um, but we're going to be going through this book of Jonah verse by verse over the next few weeks. So as you're turning there, I know some of you are questioning, why in the world would you choose the book of Jonah? I mean, isn't that a kid's story? If you grew up in the 90s, that's like the fish slappers of Nineveh, right? The Veggie Tales. like two of you know what I'm talking about. But it seems like there's some deeper parts of the Bible. And what I would say is Jonah is a simple story, yes. But it is more profound and more deep than you probably know. And what we're going to see is that in the story of Jonah, you're going to see your story. In Jonah's story, we're going to see our story. So let's get into it. Let's just read the first verse. It says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, that's an important sentence, okay? Because a lot of people have a hard time believing that this story of Jonah could be true. So even if you, don't, if you, even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably know the story of Jonah. And a lot of people say this can't be true. I mean, are we to believe that there was a guy who jumped into the ocean got swallowed by a large fish, survived for three full days, and the fish spit him up on dry land, and he lived to tell the tale? Like, are we to believe that's a true story? And whenever anyone would ask me that, which is not like one person asked me that one time, I said, that's not even like my top ten list of hardest things to believe in the Bible. Like, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you believe that God created everything out of nothing, that he spoke the world into existence. You believe in Noah and the flood, that God split the Red Sea, the ten plagues. You believe that the founder of our faith, Jesus, he died and he rose again. And he's coming back on a horse with like swords out of his mouth, okay? So this little fisherman story, it's not that hard to believe. But more than that, the Bible is presenting this as a true story. And that's the, that's the better question. Not whether I think it's true, but is the Bible presenting it as if it is true? And it is. Those first few words, now the word of the Lord came to, they show up all over the minor prophets and the major prophets. In fact, if you flip over one page to Micah, it says the word of the Lord came to Micah. 
So Jonah doesn't say, once upon a time, there was a guy named Jonah. He says, no, 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 this is a real guy. He was a real prophet. He's the son of Amittai. He actually shows up elsewhere in the Bible. You can read about him in 2 Kings. Um, he, he prophesied along the same time as Isaiah and Micah. But really, the, the main thing, the main reason I believe this is true is because Jesus believed that it was true. Now, he talks about this in Matthew 12 and Luke 11. Uh, he viewed this, this as a historical events as a very important prophetic symbol of his ministry here on earth. So if the dude who was raised from the dead believes it's true, I'm going to go with that. All right, so let's keep going. It says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Okay. Anybody a prophet here? Go ahead and raise your hand. No, no one, me neither. Okay, so we need a little bit of help because for us nonprofits, this just seems not like churches, but nonprofits. This just seems like a normal average Monday in the life of a prophet. God gives you a message and tells you to go and tell it to a certain group of people. So you take that message and you go. But what you have to see is that this is no ordinary job that God has given um, Jonah. See, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Everyone say Assyria. And Assyria is one of uh, Israel's main enemies at this time. Actually, Assyria is one of the world's main enemies at this time. And Assyria is filled with some bad dudes and some bad dudettes, okay? I don't know if you know much about Assyria, but they were one of the most violent and brutal nations that has ever existed. So if you're squeamish, go ahead and check out for a second. But they believe that the best way to stay in power was to strike fear in the hearts of their enemies. So they would not take any prisoners, and they would leave no survivors. So after a battle, if there were some people that were alive, one of their common practices would be to cut off both of their legs and one arm so they could have the pleasure of shaking their hand and looking them in the eye as they slit their throat. Okay? Bad dudes, bad dudettes. Another thing they would do is they would skin their prisoners alive. Then they'd bury them up to their neck in the sand, They'd pull out their tongue and put a stake in it so that they would die of thirst. Then they would decorate the walls of their city with the stretched skin they just cut off, all right? Joanna Gaines would frown upon that. That's some evil level stuff, okay? Do I need to keep going? No. This is Assyria, and this is one of Israel's main enemies, a real threat at this point in time. And so God says, Jonah... I want you to go to their capital city, which is huge. We'll see it in chapter 3. It would take three full days to walk across. I want you to go to that city and stand before those people and say, if you do not repent, an unknown God is going to destroy you. And so Jonah hears this, and he does what many of us would do. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah hears this, and he gets down on his knees, and he says, Dear God, no. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> and he says, I want to go as far away from Nineveh as possible. So Nineveh is about 500 miles to the east, inland, and Tarshish is 2,500 miles to the west. It's actually on the coast of Spain. So Jonah says, God wants me to go that way. I want to go as far away as I possibly can in the other direction. This is like Timbuktu. I want to go to Tarshish. Now, isn't this interesting? He has it already in his brain. I want to go the opposite direction to the end of the known world. Well, look what happens next. Well, he went down to Joppa, and lo and behold, he found a ship that happened to be going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it 
to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now this part's free, okay? What are the odds of a ship going to Tarshish just arriving into port that day? Slim to none, right? It's almost like it's a sign. It's not, all right? Write this down. If you want to run away from God, there will always be a boat waiting, okay? The enemy will hear that you want to run away from God, and he will always provide you with a perfect means of escape. And that's so important because I've had these conversations, like talking to a couple or or one person saying, man, I've been stuck in a dead-end marriage for 15 or 20 years, and I don't like my spouse, and they don't like me, and they don't respect me, they don't cherish me, they don't honor me. But a few months ago, this angel came into my life. And we just connected, and they, they really get me. They really understand me. It's a sign, right? And then a sign that God wants me to be happy? And I would just say, no. It's just that when you run away from God, you have an enemy that will work overtime. And, and hear that and jump in and into action readying the ships. All right? So back to our story. The big question I want to think about today is, why did Jonah run? Why did he say no? Now, he, he gives us the answer in chapter 4, but I don't want to jump ahead. What's going in his mind in this moment? Well, first, I think um, he hates the Ninevites. Um, He tells us this in chapters 3 and 4. He does not like the fact um, that God wants him to go to pagans. Now, there's some pastors and um, um, some commentaries that would try to get you to believe that Jonah's a little racist. He's not. He's a big racist. Um, He takes pride in the fact that he is God's chosen prophet, that he's a part of God's chosen people. And he looks down, even hates and disdains any other nation, any other race, and especially any other religion. And so he doesn't want to give them the chance of repenting. Secondly, he's also really, really comfortable. He's a prophet of the king. So he's got a huge mansion. He's got not a car, like a donkey and carriage or something. He's got more money than he can spend. He's got fame. He's got a claim. He doesn't want to leave all of that to go on a long journey. I think also he's afraid. He knows what the Assyrians do to their enemies, and nothing says, I'm your enemy, like taking a megaphone into town square and saying, repent or perish, right? But I think, I think the main reason that trumps all of those reasons is that he doesn't think that God should act the way that he's acting. He doesn't think that God has the right to ask him to do this. That request that God made of him, it doesn't make sense and it doesn't seem fair. And this trumps all the other reasons. He doesn't think that the Ninevites should be given the chance to repent. That doesn't make sense. God should just punish them. That's unfair of God. And he doesn't think that God should ask him to do something so uncomfortable and dangerous and really, in his mind, just plain stupid. Like, that's unfair. He thinks that God is making an unreasonable request. And so he says no. He runs. And he tries to run from the presence of God. Did you catch that? That's impossible. And it's also really, really dumb. But, let's be honest, has that ever stopped any of us from saying no to God? I think that's why all of us have chosen to say no to God at some point and why many of us still are. It's because God asked us or you to do something that just didn't make sense, that seems unfair, that seems unreasonable. I mean, Jonah has one command here. Take this message and deliver it to Nineveh. We have more than one command, don't we? We have about 600 some odd do's and don't do's or principles or commands. And listen, inevitably, every single Christ follower is going to come into contact with one command or one principle that just doesn't make sense in our brains. 
It just seems unfair of God to ask us. It just doesn't add up. All of us have come to one command or another and just thought, man, that, that just doesn't seem that much fun. I don't really want to give that up. I kind of like doing that. It seems like it would be a lot more fun if I could do it my way or make the decision on my terms or I'd be a lot happier if I could just go there or be with him or be with her or be with that group or do this or do that. It seems like you shouldn't ask me to do that. God, this command, it just doesn't make sense. So I'm going to say no. And we may not be as bold as Jonah, but in the back of our minds, maybe subconsciously, we've all said no to God at some point. All of us have done that. And it's so easy to sit back in judgment and say, oh, Jonah, the disobedient prophet, he deserves punishment, he deserves shame. When if we're actually honest, we, if we're actually brave enough to admit, no, I am Jonah. We are Jonah. And again, maybe it's, maybe it's our whole lives. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe you didn't grow up with religion. In fact, it's laughable to you that someone would actually believe in a higher power, but you've just said no to God your entire life. Or maybe you grew up in church, and uh, you grew up involved in Bible studies and small groups and stuff like that, but once you hit college, you wanted to try things your way, and you've been running ever since. And it's not that you don't believe in God. You do. It's just that you know that if you stopped saying no and you started to say yes, you'd have to change something. You'd have to change your life a little bit, and you're not quite ready to do that. Again, maybe it's just one area. You say, God, I'll trust you here, and I'll do it your way here, and I'll trust you here, and here, and here, but just, just not this one area. And you know what God's been asking you to do. It's really clear in Scripture, but you just don't know if you can give it up yet. You just don't know if you want to do it God's way yet. You're just not ready in this one area to say yes, just not quite yet. We've been there. I've been there. We're all Jonah. But here's something that we're going to learn and you need to hear today. Is that saying no to God always leads to the same place. Everyone that says no always gets the same result. And I've experienced this in my life and I've heard hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of life stories in my years in ministry. And here's what I know about people that say no to God. First thing is, People that say no to God will find themselves saying yes to the dumbest things. You will find yourself saying yes to stuff you never thought that you would say yes to in a million years. I mean, look at Jonah. He says, no, God, I don't want to leave my comfort. I don't want to leave my money. I don't want to go on a long journey just to be surrounded by pagans. But a few moments later, what does he find himself doing? Leaving his comfort and paying his money and going on an even longer journey just to be surrounded by pagans, right? I'm sure if Jonah would have ever gotten to Tarshish, spoiler alert, he doesn't, but if he would have arrived, he would have gotten off the docks and spent a few weeks there, and I guarantee he would have said, how in the world, why did I go here? This is worse than what God first commanded me to do. And we're the same way. We come to a command or a principle in Scripture and say, no, we don't want that dead-end life. We don't want a life without joy, without fun, without happiness, without satisfaction. So we say no, and a year later or five years or ten years or four decades later, we look around and we're like, how do we get here? Our life is empty of hope and joy and happiness and fulfillment. And it's kind of like we've reached a dead end. See, once we say no to God, we find that yes just coming out of our mouths to the most dumbest things. There comes a time in everyone's life who has said no to God where they just kind of look around and they're like, 
how did I get here? Why did I say yes to this? They look at their marriages. Why did I say yes to him? Why did I say yes to her? Why did I say yes to this decision or to this substance or to this group of people? Why did I say yes to any of this? It's because once you get comfortable saying no to God, you will eventually find yourself saying yes and yes and yes more often to the most dumbest and the dangerous things. Anybody relate? I can. And all of those no's to God and yeses to other things, they always lead to a life that eventually, not as instantaneously as Jonah, that eventually and just as dramatically, that life just sort of crumbles. It just sort of falls apart. There's a Proverbs that says, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. <laughs> Saying there's a way that seems like it's way more fun. There's a way that seems like it makes way more sense in our brain, but in the end, it's just pain. Jesus talked about this in one of his parables. He said there was a wise man and there was a foolish man. And the wise man built his house upon the rock, upon God's principles, upon his commands. He said yes to God. And when the waves came, which they will, and when the winds blew in, which they will, when that storm was over, his house was stood. He had something left over, but the fool said no. And he built his house upon the sand. And when the waves came in, which they will, and when the winds rolled in, which they will, his house, his life, it just sort of crumbled. It just sort of fell apart. When you say no to God over and over and over again, life just sort of has this way of unraveling. And you might be able to keep one area of your life afloat, like your job or this relationship, but eventually it all is going to come crashing down. You know, I counsel people all the time, and once or twice a year, you, they, they come to us pastors because their life has completely unraveled. And we'll sit there and just the hard consequences that they're experiencing, and I'll ask them, well, how did you get here? And they'll say, well, it's because of this decision. Well, how'd you get there? Well, it's because of this decision. Well, how'd you get there? Well, it's because of this and this and this and this and this. And every single time, it's like a trail of breadcrumbs. It's just a no, a no, a no, a no, a no that leads you back to that first no that led to the fallout, that led to the unraveling. And here's another thing. And men, especially, please listen to me. Husbands, fathers, your no will always affect those that you're closest to. See, when you say no to God, best for your life, you affect all the people that are involved in your life. You don't just keep the consequences to yourself. Everyone that's in your life feels the fallout as well. When you're young, it's just your parents. But when you get older, there is way more at stake. There's a whole host of people that will get kind of hit with the shrapnel. And we're going to see this in Jonah's life next week. And some of you know that this is true because you have a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter or a spouse who's been saying no to God or has said no to God their whole entire life and you have the scars and you have the wounds to prove it. And I see the nods. After this sermon, I guarantee a lot of people are going to come up and say, how do you know my life story? Who told you about my circumstances? I don't. It's a predictable path. It always ends up in the same place. And if that's you today, here's the last thing I want you to see. And we're going to see it in the life of Jonah the next few weeks. In fact, let's kind of get a sneak peek. Jonah's trying to run from the presence of God. He said no. He's going to the opposite in the world. He's heading into disaster. And look at the sweet words of verse 4. But the Lord. But the Lord intervened 
And in a shocking way, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. God sees Jonah heading to disaster and he intervenes. And some of us would say, that's a little overkill, God. <laughs> that's a little hardcore to send a storm. I mean, he just said no once. He's going on just a little vacation, but God knows where he's heading. And so he intervenes and it's, it is severe, but it's what theologians call a severe mercy or a drastic grace. And if you've been saying no to God, here's what you need to hear. You can say no to God all you want but he's already said yes to you. He's already said yes to you. When he created you and he gave you life and he knit you together in your mother's womb and he gave you the skills and the passions and the callings that he gave you, he committed himself to you, to your eternal good and to your joy. He's committed to you. And we can see that by what we celebrated a few weeks ago. He's so committed that 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to a whole world of people that were saying no. A son that was willing to die on the cross for our sins. He's committed like a good, good father. And what you need to know is that God will not sit idly by and watch you destroy yourself. And I think some of us need to correct the view of God that we have in our head. Because some of us view God as God saying, this is my way and I see this is your way, and you can make a choice, but the choice is yours, and I'm not gonna intervene, and I'm not gonna meddle, but praise God, that is not the God that we see in the Bible. We don't see a God who's just gonna wring his hands and wait for you to come back home. The God of the Bible is not one that's just gonna leave the door unlocked in case you wanna walk in. He's not gonna call and call and call and call and leave voicemail after voicemail. He's not gonna peek out the blinds to see if you're gonna make your way up the driveway. No, he's gonna leave and he's gonna chase after you. And whatever path you have chosen to go down, he's gonna walk right beside you. And you may not feel it yet. You may not see it yet. You may not notice all the ways that he's moving and he's acting, but there will come a time where you just stop and you're like, man, it seems like God is trying to get my attention. And he is, because he won't give up. He's committed to you no matter how long it takes. He will involve himself in the unraveling. He'll get right up beside you and the consequences. No matter how many no's you say to him, he's already said a resounding yes to you. And he's gonna do everything that he can to get you back, even if it means a storm. And we're gonna see how that plays out in the next few weeks. <laughs> but I have a creeping suspicion that that's why a lot of you are here in this room or watching online that severe grace, that drastic mercy. I don't think it's any accident that you found our website, that you wandered into one of our campuses. I think God's sovereign. And he ordained these circumstances and your schedule to get you to hear this message so that you could have another chance, not a last chance, but one more chance to stop saying no and to start saying yes before the fallout, before the marriage crumbles before you do lasting damage in the relationship with your kids, before you burn your bridges. You can stop right now. And you may not even know what that means. <laughs> That's okay. We're gonna do a deep dive in what that process of reconciliation and redemption looks like. But if that's you, and you just say, yeah, I've been saying no, and I've been trying to get myself to believe I'm happy that this is worth it, that I have joy, but I don't, and you, you would just admit, I'm tired. I'm worn out. 
and I'm empty. I want to ask you to do two brave things. One, I want you to tell someone. And it could be the person you're sitting beside, the person that brought you to church or that gave you the link to the website or the, your small group leader. Better yet, just reach out online right now to one of our hosts, to one of our pastors listening in, or talk to a pastor at one of our campuses, a staff member. Just tell them, I, I've been saying no. I want to start saying yes. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but I guarantee you they would love to help you take your first few steps towards God again, maybe the first time in a long time. But besides that, I wanna give you a moment to tell God that. I just wanna give us all a moment to say that to God, maybe the God that you haven't spoke to in a long time. So I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and then I'm gonna pray for all of us. So across all of our campus, if you could bow your heads and close your eyes online as well, unless you're on a treadmill or driving, please don't do that. But let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and then I'm going to pray for all of us. But maybe just say something like this. God, um, I want to stop saying no. And I, I don't really understand why you've given me that command that I don't like. I don't really understand why your way is better than mine. I don't really know if I'm going to be happier or more joyful by following that. But one thing I do know is I'm not happy where I'm at. That the no that I've said and the path I've gone down, that's, that's led to nowhere good. So I want to say yes. And I want to stop running. And I want you to accept me back. <laughs> and I heard that you could because of your son. Living the life I couldn't live and dying the death that I should have died. So Father, would you forgive me and would you take my hand and over the next few days and the next few weeks, would you lead me step by step back onto the path of yes? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If that's you, I want you to tell someone. And the angels are rejoicing in heaven right now. But for everyone else, Father, would you create in us a heart that craves to stay close to you? And Spirit, I pray that you would work and you would move in the coming weeks like never before. Would you rescue some of us prodigals <laughs> for your name and for your glory. To the God who intervenes, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.